Let's um, pray together our prayer of confession of sin, the assurance of pardon we have in Christ Jesus. And let me say this about a confession of sin. There are two aspects of it. It is corporate and it is individual. Um, our corporate identity is in Christ. And we must confess our sins as the church. Our individual identity is in Christ. And we must confess our individual sins before the Lord as well. For we are a body being fitted together as living stones for a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. For us to sin as believers is much worse than the world to sin because they have less light. So let's pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, help each of us. It is so easy to point the finger. It is so easier, so much easier to walk along. Like that, that one of my favorite Christian bands is called Plank Eye. And just how odd we are. We've seen videos of image bearers picking up a two-by-four, beating other image bearers with it. Well, nothing but demonic hatred. And we respond to that with demonic hatred. We have our own planks that we pick up and beat people with. And what you tell us in your word is we're bad about taking up our planks and complaining about people's specs. So help us as individuals to look in our hearts. For your word tells us there is much darkness there. Sin is deceptive. Worldly wisdom is demonic. Fleshly wisdom is evil. And there are demonic influences adding to that noise. So help us as individuals, by your Holy Spirit, by your word, to examine our hearts. That before we think we can be about any sort of societal reformation, and we look at our hearts, make sure our own house is in order before we start trying to clean up the world. We will make the world brighter. We will be a preserving influence when you change each of us more into the image of Christ. So help us in our own prayer closets, in the depths of our hearts as we're in your word to have your Holy Spirit. And God, it's a scary thing. I don't really want the brightness of your light shining on my heart. I cannot take it. We would be undone. We thank you that there are times when you take us deeper to show us our sin and times when you, you, you're easy on us. But Lord, help us before we go into too many people's lives to start yelling about sin. We're called to exhort. We're called to convict. We're called to do these things too, Lord. But it begins with the individual heart. And judgment begins with the household of God. So let us look deeply. I pray that you would convict us of so much sin that we'd be on our knees in tears and wondering how in the world we can even begin to be calling ourselves believers so that when we then stand up and start looking at other people, 
we would see ourselves in that mirror, Lord, that we would know that there but for the grace of God go I. And then there are some unbelieving sinners out there who actually are better than us externally. Thank God I can say at the funeral of a believer that they weren't good enough to get into heaven and have half the congregation look at me and go, what blasphemous nonsense you're saying. That person was good. That person was good. And have all the believers, and hopefully the family of the believer, look at me and go, amen. They were not good enough to get into heaven, but we know the one who's good enough to get them in. It is only by thy grace, only by thy gospel, only because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God, that any of us are able to walk in anywhere and say the name of Christ, that we're able to believe. You've given us the gift of faith. Help us to know, were it not for that, we'd still be suppressing the knowledge of God in our sin. We'd still be railing against you. Lord, I see TV. Help me to unplug. It's Denzel Washington. I never thought I'd quote Denzel Washington in a, in a, in a prayer, Lord. But he said, if you don't watch the news, you're not informed. And if you do watch the news, you're misinformed. Truth is perverted in the streets. As Pilate said, looking at Jesus, what is truth? We don't even know what truth is. Shame on us as a church. Help us, God, individually to be able to... We can't confess a sin until we see it. And then I see cameras. And God, I know who directs where the cameras go. Are they Christians? Is it your Holy Spirit? Or are they people manipulated by Satan and the devil itself? God, cameras. They give us a snapshot of the world. And I see in different places around the world, people rallying. And they're holding up signs. All kinds of signs. We pray. For the time when we see cameras. And the signs will be Jesus saves. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Preach the gospel. That that would be what we would see. And God, it's happening all over the world this morning. Different time zones. People are doing that very thing all over the world. Where are the cameras? You see from heaven. You see from heaven. Remind us, God, you see from heaven. You see from heaven. What we do will be, I was always afraid there's going to be a widescreen TV in heaven and every one of my sins is going to be put up there for everybody to look at, but we're all, if that's true, we'll all be completely undone, God. If you were to deal with us as our sin deserves, who could stand? Who is sufficient for these things? God, we pray for the grace to be able to live a life in a Christ-like manner. And we don't know what it looks like because we mock the world. We, we don't mock the world, we imitate the world. We take the world. The world tells us how should we respond and we do it. The world is not going to follow us. It is not going to follow us. It will mock us. It will say we're powerless. It will say your thoughts and prayers are useless. Get off your butts and do something. God, that's going to be judged. I, I fear our country is under judgment. That your hand, and the only judgment you need give it is just let it go. So let it not be, Lord, if, if, if this is judgment, then help us shine. Help us to be faithful. Today, if we hear his voice, let us not harden our hearts. As the people that you freed from Egypt did, 
and wandered in the desert for 40 years and they all died there because of their disobedience from a lack of faith, Lord, give us faith. If, if we are not able to sit here in our pews and examine our hearts and recognize the utter depravity that's there apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not Christians yet. Help us to cling to your cross. Help us to confess your cross. Help us to love you and to love our neighbors as you have commanded. Because if we're going to now move from a confession of sin to an assurance of pardon, we better make sure we have that assurance. We better make sure that we are clinging to the cross. And James tells us, you show me your faith by your works. So Lord, help us. Our tongues are set on fire by hell itself. And it controls our body and sets things on fire, Lord. Help us to control our tongues. Help us not to speak anything but grace and truth and love. And that comes from your word. Help us to be students of your word you are needed now and we pray for you to come and you have come and we pray for your kingdom to come and it has come we're the church we are the ones that are given this task for such a time as this lord help us not to be found unfaithful help us to be willing to release our hands from our treasures not so that we can earn our grace but so we can release our demons we thank you for the grace that's ours, that even people like us can get into heaven because of Jesus Christ, that you love us. You sent your son. This is how you love the world. You sent your son to die on the cross so that all who believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life, Lord. Thank you for faith. We're going to sing Psalm 130 to you, Lord. Help us to truly believe this. Help us to sing from our spirits, from our souls. Help us to look to you to find truth. And we pray that our faces would glow like Moses in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And we pray this in your most holy name. Amen. We come to a time where we hear God speak to us from his word so if you turn to we've been just preaching through the book of Hebrews I really wanted to preach through the book of Revelation earlier and um, changed my mind or my mind was changed providentially just because this felt like the reason what you see in Revelation is the sovereignty and majesty of Christ but in Hebrews, it's where the sovereignty and majesty of Christ is focused on like a laser. From the Old Testament, we've been preaching. We've preached through Genesis, Exodus. We skipped over Levit Leviticus. I'm just not quite ready for that yet. And then Numbers. And then Joshua. And uh, it's as if the writer of the book of Hebrews was doing a Bible study in, in Numbers. Because he uses it over and over again. So a good thing we just came from that. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray now that we preach, do not preach me. I don't, preach, I don't preach my anger. I don't preach my wrath. I don't preach my sadness. I don't preach my message that is from your word to us, that you, by your spirit, the Puritans prayed for a holy unction and anointing. And that word gets so twisted today, Lord. So I like that word unction because you kind of have to look it up. The holy unction of your spirit. Not just for the preaching of your word. For your word will do what it sets out to accomplish. You will accomplish by your word what you want to accomplish. 
So I pray for the hearers, including myself, and our hearts would be broken. Broken. For ourselves and for those who are outside of you. For the church. I don't think I want to pray for the world. I want to pray for people all over the world. You would convict them of sin. You would lead them into repentance and faith. And as the church, that's what we would call people to repentance and faith. And as we go into your word, we would see where we particularly need to repent where we need to rejoice and we, that we would see you elevated above all things. In Christ's holy name we pray. Speak to us. Amen. And sovereignly in the ordained providence of God, we are in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. I'm going to go all the way through 4.16 because I think it completes the thought. It starts with a therefore. So hopefully you've been keeping up. Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him for, to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. Father God, again, we hear your word. And we pray that you would help us today to hear your voice and not harden our hearts. That today we would hear your voice and not harden our hearts. As long as it's called today. Help us to enter into your rest. Help us to strive to work diligently to enter into your rest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So one of the things we see, and by the way, you know, I'm sure maybe I shouldn't have just translated Joshua into Greek on the spot there. Maybe threw you off a little bit. But Hebrew audience is hearing this. Reading it in Greek a Greek-speaking Hebrew audience. And whether you know it or not, the Greek name for Jesus is Jesus. The Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. So Joshua and Jesus, it's the same name. Jesus is named after Joshua. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Joshua is the one who led his people into the promised land. Old Testament Joshua. New Testament Joshua leads his people into the promise, ultimate promised land. The Jewish people would hear this and get the connection immediately. It just would click. There are many people who preach the gospel to um, Jewish communities and they challenge um, people who aren't always dealing with um, Jewish communities in evangelism to they wish we would call the name of Jesus instead of however we get from Jesus to Jesus um, that we would call him uh, Yeshua 
but I'm like, well, you just call him Jesus. I mean, that's kind of, but the Hebrew people, the Jewish people know their Hebrew Bible. They, they learn that. So if you say it, so they know the name of Joshua as Yeshua. So the name of Jesus is Yeshua. There's a connection there. And it's the, the writer of Hebrews does a lot of things to say, he's used the Old Testament. So we need to know our Old Testament. Um, I don't like churches that say we're a New Testament church. It's like, well, then how do you understand Hebrews? How do you understand Revelation? You know, you can't understand these things. The Word of God is the Word of God. And it's important. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. He's quoting Psalm 95, which we used as a call to worship this morning, which apparently in synagogues during this time all over the world, they would use this Psalm 95 as a call to worship. So when the writer of Hebrews is saying, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you, harden his, you hear his voice, they're like, this is a call to worship. They would hear that. And they know this section of scripture because they heard it as they were in a Jewish church. And he repeats it over and over. That part, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice. So you would have to ask ourselves, do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice? My sheep hear my voice and I know them by name. Do you hear his voice? Well, if you do, don't harden your heart. We believe in the perseverance of saints. We believe that once you're saved, God has actually saved you. But we also believe that some people can believe they're saved and they're not saved at all. It's those who persevere to the end. How do you know if you're saved? You make it to the end. I can't have assurance of my salvation now. Yes, trusting in the promises of God. But I can promise you there are people who are very sure of their salvation who did not persevere to the end. So he tells you today, do not harden your heart. How are we supposed to persevere if I can have assurance of my salvation? Because you stay in the word of God. You want to say that maybe you're falling, that maybe you weren't, then you start moving away from the word of God. Start manipulating the word of God. Start depending on the world to figure out how to fix and solve our problems. You'll drift away. We must pay much closer attention. So this Bible keeps saying over and over, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay closer attention, much closer attention. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, you who share heavenly calling, consider, think deeply on Jesus Christ. And that's not just at the beginning. Well, no, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to be a Christian or not. Well, you need to think a lot about Jesus. Oh, you're right, I did. Hallelujah, I'm a believer. Okay, what about 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now when the world turns upside down? And I'm not talking about rioters. I'm talking about your family, your health, your prosperity, your gods that you have assembled become crushed one by one in front of you and you have to decide, though he slay me, will I serve him? Or are you like Job's wife and say, you just need to curse him and die already? Now, it may come to that. And I can promise you, if we get to this country in such a way that it is underground and uh, our lives and our fortunes can actually be at risk according to this, I can promise you the actual church is going to be much more powerful than it is now. But do we desire comfort more than we desire growth in faith? I desire comfort. But I know, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do what you have to do. But he has to do that to us. And look what he says. It's the Holy Spirit that says, verse 7, the Holy Spirit said. Who wrote that? Moses did. Wait a minute. 
Yep, that's one of the places we go to say, see the Holy Spirit guided holy men to record his word. When you read the Old Testament, you're listening to the Holy Spirit. When you're listening to this, you're listening to the Holy Spirit. He also says that David said later on, he's just quoting Psalm um, 95. And then in other places, he says the Holy Spirit says when it's something David wrote. Okay, we have confidence because not only does the word claim it, but our hearts know it. Because of faith. Now if you look at Psalm, matter of fact, just real quick, look at Psalm 95 verse 8. Psalm's pretty big, you can find it, it's in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 95 verse 8. It actually kind of begins in verse 7. The last part of verse 7. And so as we read the New Testament here, it says, Today, if you harden his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. We go to Psalm 95, last part of 7. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. So Meribah Massa doesn't say anything about um, rebellion and, and testing. Or they're quoting the Septuagint. Septuagint actually translates those Hebrew words. The word for rebellion is Meribah. The word for testing is Massa in Hebrew. So when you read your Old Testament and you knew your Hebrew, you, I don't know why they don't, I mean, they name those things that, but you would, we have trouble hearing that because of language barriers, but that's what he's saying. Put yourself in their place today. And what he's saying here, things can begin very well and end very poorly. Things can begin very well and end very poorly. This generation, it was the generation that had the first Passover. They took the blood over the doorpost. They did the Passover supper. The death angel passed over. They plundered the Egyptians and they left. And they died in the desert because of disbelief. That generation died because of disobedience. But it's also called disbelief. So, you know, what's disbelief but disobedience? It leads to it. The more you fall away from the faith, the more you disobey. It starts with grumbling. It starts with um, complaining. And then it turns into um, quarreling. And then it turns into just blatant disobedience. And he says, today, you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart like they did. So remember, it can happen. I have never seen the church and the world so divided over things which we all agree on. If that is not satanic, I don't know what is. Things that we would all agree on. And we are destroying violently. Violence does not exalt a nation. The flood came because violence filled the earth. 
the judgment of God comes on us all. And we have to get it right. This book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience initially. Then it goes to a Hebrew, I mean to a um, Gentile audience. It's written to us too. And this is my concern. And this is where I think I disagree. This is where I think we can stand out. White people, you need to repent. Black people, you need to repent. Yellow, red, purple, I don't care what colors we come up with, you need to repent. We need to repent. The problem is the human heart today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Verse 12, take care. Believers, brothers, and we talked last time, it's like, brothers, well, doesn't that include women too? Yes. Does it include all races, all creeds, all nationalities? Does it? Does it? Does it? Does it? Yes. So, brothers, you take care lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God and you exhort one another every day. Now, exhort is an interesting word. We don't use exhortation a whole lot. But there's another verse in Hebrews that we're aware of, Hebrews 10.25. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but do what? Encourage one another. All the more as you see a day approaching. Strengthen one another. Encourage one another. Same Greek word that they use the word exhort here. I wish they just use encourage. Keep stick with the same word. What are we supposed to be doing? Encouraging. Which also means to exhort. As long as it's called today. Because there's going to be a day when it's not called today. It's going to be the day after. But today, you exhort one another. And how are we supposed to do that? What? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. The human heart is deceptively wicked. Who can know it? And here's how you know you're being deceived if you have not love for your brother. And that goes, that's a, if you can't preach the same gospel to a black person as you can to a white person, it is not the gospel you're preaching anymore. I am sick of this. It's burdens. I have never in my, if I have a heart attack, please don't let them write COVID on it. Please write it's sin. It's sin that I see in the church. It's sin that I see in the world. It's sin that I see in my heart. It's brother against brother and people against people and watching Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. You know, it's like, come on, people. If the gospel's not the solution, you've got the problem misdiagnosed. Are there racist? Oh, my goodness, yes. Does anybody disagree with that? Here's the disagreement. Can a black person be racist? Well, now we redefine racism to be something else. I had these conversations with Chandler constantly. Who is out 
protesting in New York City. And then I watched people post a picture of a car with blood on the wheels saying I went to a protest. I didn't see any protesters. What would you do? Run over my son? Everybody out there is an image of God. And we hate them. It's the deceitfulness of sin. It is the deceitfulness of sin. I am tired of it. I will not bow my knee to anybody but Jesus Christ, and neither should you. I don't care what color you are. I, am, <laughs> I don't want to preach me, but people, come on. It's, we're one people. We've been brought out of the world and united together in Christ. I've even thought about, do we even need to take communion today? Because you're just eating judgment to yourself if you don't care for one another. I have a, a black friend. Why would see black friend, white friend, dear white Christians, dear black Christians, dear white... No! That's what Satan wants. I mean, you divide people up and there has to be factions among you so I can tell who's... <laughs> nothing but factions. You can keep dividing people up into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller units and the United States had figured out how to do that with the individual. The individual has human rights. Okay, that's great. I'm glad the individual has human rights. We do. We, should, we have dignity and worth because we're image bearers of God. But then we have to come together. Where's your identity? What's your group identity? Is it your whiteness? Is it your blackness? Is it your Asianness? What is it? I'm afraid I might say the wrong word that people are no longer politically correct. They're controlling language now. But I can tell you this. If you have hatred in your heart towards people uh, for any reason, then you be very careful what you say because it's going to slip out. And if you're having to be very careful what you say, all that hate speech goes underground. You start telling people you can't talk, you can't this. When it makes them mad, then it clusters them together. And then all of a sudden there's a big old fire bust out. And you're like, where did all that come from? Well, you shut it down. We have free speech. We're supposed to. The deceitfulness of sin. I have a black friend on Facebook who posted a thing. Wants people to start saying the first time they experience racism. And I thought to myself, well, I remember the first time I experienced racism against me. But that's not what they're talking about. That's not, I can't talk about that. We have to listen now. That means other people aren't, because we've been talking, white people have been talking for too long. Don't get involved in that idiocy. I mean, the gospel has been speaking, and if you can't speak the gospel, you need to be quiet. You need to listen. Listen to the word of God. Habakkuk says, hush, hush, hush. Listen. God is in his holy temple. Let the world be silent before him. Hush. We all have, I mean, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Even people that sinned against you, the worst sins we do are people that sinned against us. Sinful responses to sin. You've got to turn the other cheek. I don't want to just preach for me. Verse 14, we share in Christ. If we hold the original confidence firm to the end, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in a rebellion. For who were those who heard and rebelled? It was all those who left Egypt led by Moses. In verse 18, whom did he swear they would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief, disobedience, unbelief, disobedience. 
We don't have enough faith. We need our faith increased so that we can properly preach the gospel, call people to repentance, call people to faith, and be able to name sin as it actually is because we first see it in our own hearts and we see the deceptiveness of it because we are able to examine our own hearts and see what a mess we make of our own lives. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can do anything about it. In verse 4, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of... I love how he does this. Let us fear lest any of you... <laughs> He's not including him in this. Because he knows who he believes. If you fail to reach it. The good news came to them. You on Gilead, the gospel, it came to them. What was the good news? We're going to the promised land. Awesome. And he takes them and he takes them and he takes them and he takes them and he does for me. he does for me. he does for them. They send, the, they send the spies in to spy out the land. The two guys come out and they're like, this place is Unbelievable. We can take it because God is with us. And the other ten spies come out and say, it is unbelievable. But man, there's some, it's, it would die. we're like little grasshoppers in front of them. There's no way. We're not going to be able to make it. We can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb, <laughs> believe, have faith. We can do it. It's unbelievable. Nope. Because when it's time for the people of God to put their feet into action in faith, they fell away because now it's a battle. Now, I'm not prepared. I've been a slave all my life. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do? You believe you have faith. You move forward. You follow God. And he's saying, people, you do that. The Jewish church he's writing to under persecution. Persecution was there. They were losing stuff. It was troubled times. There was strife. There was violence. It was awful for them. And he says, you be careful lest any of you have an unbelieving heart. You've had good news come to you. So did they. And they didn't benefit from it because it was not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 3, 4. We who have believed enter that rest as he has sworn. And swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. He created everything. It is finished. God rests from his works of creation. And then he says, but they're not going to enter my rest. So therefore, verse 6, since it remains for some to enter it. So this is cool. We have the rest of God that some of us can enter into. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted. And he's just hammering this home. Hammering this home today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever, and it's the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest, whoever has entered, has also rested from his works, just as God did from his so let us strive, and that bothers me because you rest from your works and you work hard to get in that rest. <laughs> so is he talking about heaven? No, he's saying we've already entered into that rest. But you have to strive to enter that rest. It's like because what happens, and I know it, doing the little you know, on the lamb, 357, words of encouragement. You think at 357 every day I'm feeling encouraged? You think at 357 every day I feel like giving the good news and how everything's fine and it's going to be good and it's going to be okay? You know, so I got to start saying, in about five minutes, I'm going to have to change my attitude and start talking about how to be 
not afraid, how not to be angry. <laughs> how am I supposed to do that? Well, I've got to find somewhere in the Bible that talks about it somewhere. What have I been here? I'm here. And what it does, it throws me into the Word of God. And it throws me into the Word of God, and I'm like, I harden my heart because of the deceitfulness of sin. I thought I could do something about all this. I get angry at stuff y'all say. You get angry at stuff I say. I get mad at things other people say. I see violence in the streets. I see justice perverted. I feel like Habakkuk, but I'm not the prophet Habakkuk. But man, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? And then Habakkuk, he says, you just need to be quiet. I got this. You wouldn't believe if I told you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's my problem. That's our problem. God is in his holy temple. Let us all be silent. What do you think we're going to do? We can't fix our own families. That we're going to fix the world. What do we do? We pray for our families. We love our families. We, we share the gospel with our families. We hurt for our families. But one of the problems is, is it's easy to pronounce solutions for societal change when the things you propose aren't going to do anything for decades. I remember my first time at actually having power at a job. I was always on my job saying, you know, like everybody else, well, if we just do that, they just do this, if they just do that. Well, if you take all those 100-ton presses and move that 600-ton press from here to there, you save a bunch of time. All right, John said move the 600-ton press. Let's get that in there. How much is it going to cost? And they're moving the 600-ton press because of the mess that came out of my mouth that I'm not sure what I said, nor is I sure I believed it. And so I had to sit back at that point and go, wow, I have power and authority. I found out later they had already planned to do it. I actually believed I had the power to make change happen like that. <laughs> but it made me think for a bit, what if they do? Now, if you're in your home... You're dealing with an individual, and you say, we need to do this, and we need to do that. You get instant feedback. And so that changes the way you look at things. But if you're looking at, you know, when I talk to my Marxist friends and family, well, it all sounds so good. It all sounds so utopian. But let's talk about what we've seen in history. Let's talk about the human heart. You know what Karl Marx says the problem is? Do you know what Karl Marx says the problem is? So when you see Marxists, and have no mistake, they're not all Marxists. But I know from firsthand experience, there's a group of Marxists that are also marching that want what they want. And the problem with, the, with societal problems is not the human heart. It is, anybody want to say it? Does anybody know what Marxists believe is at the heart of all our problems? I know people are kind of scared to say it, right? Oh, yeah, you know. We've been schooled in it. I've had to read the books so that I can actually articulate things back to people. But Alex knows. What is it, Alex? <laughs> I won't put you on the spot. He, he knows all things economic. Capitalism. Property. P even family being. Well, you did your head like that. All right, correct me real quick. I'm outside of my area of expertise. Yeah, if you want to. I won't. I won't. Property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, it's not about racism. Racism is a result of capitalism and property and stuff like that. You know, and so, I just tried, like, you know what you need to be doing to people like that? The gospel. It's the gospel. I don't care what system you're in. You put sinful people in it, it's going to turn sinful. 
you know. But it's supposed to be, if you put Christians in it, it starts to turn brighter. If you put Christians in it, it's supposed to be saltier. If you put Christians in it, we're supposed to be able to speak truth. We're supposed to be able to, to bring the Word of God in. We're supposed to have people see ourselves, see you the way you act. And they're supposed to be able to say, there's something different about those Christians. I can tell a difference by the way they love one another. I can tell a difference by the way we love one another. So, you know, preaching from the Word of God again, entering into his rest. We're supposed to strive to enter, enter into it. And I, and I got this quote before we hit this final point, too, um, from the uh, commentary that was written years ago. None of this was going on. This way he says, isolation. My, my ears picked up in my book. He says, because he's talking about being together, worshiping together, isolation. And particularly, isolation from mutual encouragement of the body is a dangerous thing. In isolation, we are prone to be impressed by the spacious arguments or specious arguments which underlie worldly wisdom. In isolation, we are prone to be impressed by the specious arguments which underlie worldly wisdom. When you are alone and unaccountable, it is tempting to take the easy course instead of the right one. Today, brother, today, sister, listen to his voice. I'm still quoting the commentator. So that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, making tomorrow's repentance and faith more difficult. The only solution is this, is to change the human heart. And the only thing that's ever been given in the world to change the human heart is the Spirit of God, the gospel's the power of God and the salvation for all that hear. We have to preach the gospel if you want to see anything changed. Verse 12, chapter 4. For the word of God is alive. It's not dead. It's alive. It's living. And it's active. Like yogurt cultures, you know? It's living and it's active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You want to speak truth to power? You tell those governors and presidents and everybody else is in any kind of authority, and maybe you yourself, that you will give a reckoning one day for the decisions you make and the things that you do and the laws you pass and the laws you bring up. There will be a reckoning. But we don't even worry about how we vote. I'm about done with voting. Because it doesn't seem to be a difference. And a lot of this is, is my personal pent-up stuff. Amy's having gone crazy all week with this stuff. She's like, I just, we shouldn't even say anything. I've got to say something. I've got to preach a, from the Bible. What do you want me to do? There will be a reckoning for each one of us. We will give an account. We need to fear lest we forget that. There will be a reckoning. And that should make every one of us tremble in our seats because none of us, you don't want to be naked and exposed before the Holy God. Naked, where does that happen? In the garden. What'd they do? Hide. What'd God do? Call them out. And then he killed an animal. And he clothed them with the skin of an animal. 
because the day they eat, they would die. But they didn't because he's going to send his son Jesus to die in their place. And he's going to clothe them with that blood. And that's the only hope we have if that's true. If the Bible is not true, you better hope the fact that there's a holy God is not true. Because if there's a holy God, we're done. We're done. I envied the arrogant. I was like a beast before you. They don't have troubles. And then I entered the holy place. And I see you've put their feet on slippery ground. It's a song of lament for the lost. If we don't lament for the lost, be careful lest an unbelieving heart comes in and you become one of them. We will give an account. But since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He's repeating this all through the book of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest, thank God, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. He sympathizes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, who is unable to sympathize. But one who is in every respect, he's been tempted as we are yet without sin. So then we with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So if there's a message for Christians that you have for other people, it is come to the throne of grace and receive forgiveness. Come into the people of God and receive forgiveness. Come into the great cloud of witnesses who through faith accomplished all these great and wonderful things. We have a throne. Who sits on a throne? A king. It's a throne of grace. And why do we go to it? That we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So what do we do to strive to enter that race, that rest? And according to these verses in chapter 2 through 4, we pay much closer, we pay must, we pay much closer attention. We consider, think on Jesus. We hold fast our confidence. We don't harden our hearts. We hold our original confidence firm to the end. We fear lest we should seem to have failed to reach the promise. Rest equals belief plus trust. We have great problems. Can God meet them? Can we trust God to meet them? And our actions demonstrate our belief or our disbelief. The gospel is the power of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. We are naked and exposed, helpless, vulnerable. It's a sword of judgment and a sword of sanctification. Let's pray that we can enter his rest. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. We need you. I need you. Help us, God, not to think we don't need you. When we come to your table, help us to examine ourselves, that we're discerning the body of Christ, that we're not exalting any group above another, that we're not leaving any groups out, that we're not forgetting the poor, Lord, but that we know we come to your table because without you every day we die. 
We need you. We need your gospel. This is the sacrament. This is what we need. We need to eat and drink you. God, covenantally, we're covered with you. Help us to, to proclaim that gospel and truth to the world, Lord, that we can look at people and love them and say, you need Jesus. You need to repent of your sin. Because of sin, judgment is coming into this world. God, this world will end. And there will be a day when it's over. And there'll be no repentance. We pray for those that, we, that we're praying for. That as a result of this present darkness, that we would see the light, the light shining, God. Your light. And that many sons and daughters would be turned to glory. We've been praying for revival for years. Maybe this is how you do it. It starts with us. Wake us up from our slumber. In Christ's name we pray.